Well, hello, Jess. Hey, Chris. <laughs> happy to be with you again today. Happy to be speaking about the Bible and Jesus and all of these exciting mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm hungry. Are you hungry? <laughs> I had breakfast, but I'm like, oh, I need this snack. <laughs> well, but I'm about- good. Also excited to be here. Excited about our topic. Um, not something I know a lot about, but I think something that people are still curious about. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, well, let's not waste too much time and jump into it. But before we get there, uh, how would you feel about some shrimp-flavored chips? <laughs> I mean, if you asked me that question, I'd be like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know. I'm undecided. Shrimp is a good thing. Yes. And sh- chips are also a good thing. But if you put them together, I think it could work. I think it could work. I mean, let's try it out, right? Yeah. So we got some shrimp-flavored chips here from Korea. Uh, I actually have had these before. I love them. I also do love shrimp and chips. So mm-hmm. I would say it's a winning combo. Okay. I know it's strange, uh, but <laughs> let's give it a shot. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Yay, let's go. Mm. There's like a hint of a spice to it. Like, like there's some sort of fake shrimp recipe that I'm actually liking. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, they always Pretty strike good. me as a little sweeter. Than I would expect. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Maybe there's like some paprika in there or something. Where can we get these? They're pretty good. I get them at uh, this Korean store that I go to, but I, you find a similar product in a lot of Asian yeah. markets and Asian okay. stores. Okay. Yeah. These ones are caught by Nongshim, Korean yeah. distributor. Thank you, Nongshim. Thank you. Or we should say, Kamsamnida, Nongshim. <laughs> <laughs> Just whipping up my Korean. There you go. <laughs> so. We're talking today about the Bible, mm-hmm. and more specifically, where did the Bible come from? Mm-hmm. And it's an odd question to ask in some question, in some sense, because I think if someone asked me that question, where did the Bible come from, I would follow it up, and so I would ask them a question in return, like, what do you mean by that? Right, right. Because do you are you asking, like, literally, where did it come from in terms of, is it of human origin or divine origin? Or are you talking about what was the process by which... It came to us. I think both those questions are very valid, but very hard to answer. Yeah. Could it be? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what would you say if someone asked you, where did the Bible come from? I remember a couple of weeks back, we were chatting about like topics we wanted to cover. And then you asked me that question. I was like, I don't know. Okay. Where does the Bible come from? I'd be like, from God. <laughs> but that doesn't. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Um, see, it's one of those questions that I never took the time to ask. But if I was forced to answer, yeah, I would say it comes from a God who's very relational and wants to talk to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he made certain things happen so that even like today, like years and years after the fact that something really important happened, like we can still... Um, get to know this God. So I would say, yeah, like from God. Um, yeah. Although that might seem vague, that's where I guess I would try to start the conversation. It's a good starting point to say we believe that these words are divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if they weren't, why would we treat them like we treat them? Yeah. yeah. It is strange, I think, to the modern mindset uh, to look at a Christian and to see someone who pays such respect and attention to this ancient document mm-hmm. that to them is probably just the work of, you know, tribal people who lived thousands of years ago mm-hmm. trying to make sense of their reality as they saw it. Um, if that was all that it was, 
Then it would be weird. Why, <laughs> It'd be why super would we, weird. Yeah, yeah, why would we care more than just sort of a passing curiosity about mm-hmm. it? More mm-hmm. than an interesting anthropological kind of understanding of these people. Why would we allow it to have authority in our lives yeah. if we think this is purely of human origin? Yeah, exactly. But we also can't take away the fact that it does have a human origin. Mm-hmm. That it w- didn't just sort of come down from heaven, no. you know, <laughs> wrapped in pleather <laughs> as our as our cheap Bibles are go. today. <laughs> Perfectly annotated, yeah, you yeah. know, like we have it today. It didn't arrive like that. Mm. It actually developed over a long process Mm -hmm. Uh, and so what you have for the most of the bible's lifetime it was actually separate collections of different scrolls and writings that were transmitted and carried and then added to Um, and they weren't necessarily seen as one cohesive whole for a good portion of the time and i'm talking mostly about old testament now but they weren't seen as a one collected document there were these different writings that sort of the, the Israelites carried with them throughout mm. their history mm-hmm. um, and then at a certain point brought together to say, well, this, it's, it's not really, it's not one book in the way that we have it, but it's one collection of writings that's more like a library. Right. Which is why, I mean, you have a bunch of different genres in scripture. Right, right. right. So it's you're, not, you're kind of saying like it didn't fall out of the sky, but instead there was this long process of like someone writing a bit here, someone writing a bit there, and then eventually let's come together, let's make it a whole cohesive collection with like many genres inside of it, but we're going to like stick it together as one thing. Or at least that's how the New Testament was? Yeah. Okay, okay. And then it goes into that, the question of like, so what is it that makes the Bible the Bible? Like why these books and mm, not other books? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they weren't, it wasn't as if they were the only writings at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think the reason that these ones came out the way they did is because they they had a certain sort of quality to them that people could recognize over time and authority that people could could see and could kind of feel I suppose or sense mm-hmm. about them uh, and, and they were just sort of they 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 continued to tell the same story oh that's interesting which I think is a beautiful idea like what would you say is the story of the Bible um, once again like to bring it to God <laughs> but I think like uh, it's the story okay no, it's the story of God who, like, like let's say he made all the people, let's say, <laughs> he made all these people, um, and there's one family in particular that, like, he's interacting mm-hmm. a lot with that family. Fortunately, that family is very dysfunctional, so there's a bunch of ups and downs in that family. But then he does something in order to show, like, hey, no matter how far this family goes, no matter how crazy they get, I'm still going to love them. And in fact, I'm going to become part of that family and, like, come down myself. And so it's the story of, like, this weird family, but that is still loved. And God does something really big to show how much he loves them. And he's like, now you go out and love all the other families type of thing. Yeah, actually, you, we have these moments in Scripture where God will tell the people or tell Moses mm-hmm. to write this down mm-hmm. so that people remember how I saved them. Mm-hmm. So it happens in Exodus a couple of times. It happens in Deuteronomy. It happens throughout Scripture as well. Um, even Jesus saying, go and be my witnesses. Yeah, and him yeah. promising the, the Holy Spirit to come upon his disciples and saying, he will remind you of what I have said and teach you new things. It's this, uh, It's basically, he want the, 
the Bible is, in a sense, the witness of what God has done for his people in saving them and redeeming mm. them. Mm-hmm. And so we know about these amazing moves of God and these way, this way that God has interacted with the human race throughout history because of the Bible. And so it's the documentation of these and the response of these things and the sort of outworking, the thinking through these things that create the Bible as what it is. Mm. It's the story of God saving his people, mm-hmm. redeeming and saving his people and, and creating a covenant people in his name. Yeah. And that's really one of those sort of scarlet threads that runs throughout the whole of Scripture that astoundingly you'll have promises made in Genesis that crop up again and again throughout these these different books of Scripture that you know span a, literally a millennia. Like the oh, Old Testament okay. was written over a thousand-year period. That's that's a lot of time to <laughs> spend on a book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you know consider the fact that a lot of these people, it's oral traditions, it's yeah, it's non-written yeah. histories that they're passing down, and yet they have these these times where they they bring together these these books and. They come together in such a way that there's a unified theme to it. Mm. There's a unified idea, and honestly, one of the, I think one of the reasons why people find the Bible really hard to read is because yes, there is this great chasm of of history between us and them, and a great chasm of culture between us and them For that sure. needs to be overcome. For sure, yeah. But also, and the people writing these things were geniuses. Like they were really brilliant minds. There's no wasted words. There's no mm. wasted space. Everything is is useful in bringing it to the along that that line of thought of what is God doing among His people and what is He promising to do next. Are you saying we're too dumb to read yeah. the Bible and we're like not as smart? As, I mean, maybe we are. <laughs> no, it's not like you have to be like a genius to right. understand the Bible, of course. Um, but I think part of the reason why we don't like. If we don't understand it, at least give the Bible the benefit of the doubt to say the fault could be on my side, mm. not on its side, mm-hmm. which I don't think we often will <laughs> take the time to give the Bible that benefit of the doubt and think right. like, well, this thing's just boring. Or, this yeah, thing's just... the problem's not with me. It's yeah. you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's a, um, there's a famous, I don't know if it's true or not, but a story about a security guard who uh, worked at the Louvre m- okay. Museum. Yeah. And I guess on a particularly quiet day, again, I don't know if it's true or not, but this uh, this person comes in and is looking at the Mona Lisa and hit this guard. His job is to look at the Mo- is to guard the Mona Lisa. Right. Uh, and so she's looking at it, and she kind of like tilts her head to the side and kind of gives a curious look, and turns back and says to the guard, like, "I don't get it. I don't see what the big deal yeah. is." <laughs> and the guards, who's now spent you know years and years of his life just looking at this painting. Mm. And he said, well, that tells me much more about the subject than it does about the object. Right. Basically saying, like, if you don't really see what's going on there, it's not the painting's fault. It's probably your yeah, fault. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. I Which, heard, um, oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm just, you go. No, but we're talking about, like, mistakes we make when we, like, come to the Bible. Um, I, I was listening to a cool podcast about that one time. <laughs> Why don't I understand this thing? <laughs> Seems familiar. Right. <laughs> Go listen to it, guys. It's the last one we recorded. Why don't I understand the Bible? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be a good companion piece to this Exactly, one, right? yeah. 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 <laughs> but so what we have over time, where did the Bible come from? It came from these, at least in the Old Testament specifically, it came from these writings that people made over time that you have 
sort of three phases. Mm. You'll have the first phase, which is the authorship. People will write something, yeah. and that's where it begins. And then the second phase will be uh, sort of dissemination. It'll get out there into the public. People will hear about this teaching, and people will begin to pass it on, or people will begin to sort of repeat it. Uh, and it over that period of time, uh, there's a recognition of the authority of this. Mm-hmm. There's a recognition of, of the importance of this document mm-hmm. and how closely it relates to a human, the human experience or how closely it relates to you know, the telling of a real-world event. Uh, you know, it, it, it has something which it makes it, deems it necessary and important. And so it'll kind of rise in status. Mm-hmm. And then the third period is where that, that recognition is sort of formalized. Okay. Where you'll have sort of the authority of the time saying, this is important. We deem it, or we recognize it's important and we, want, we value it enough to keep it and to hold on to it and to give it a sense of uh, formal authority. Okay. Okay. And so by, like I said earlier, by sort of two, 300 BC, um, we have pretty much set in certainly the minds of the New Testament Oh, sorry, I guess the, the first century Jewish people that we know of in Scripture, like Jesus and the Apostles and the Pharisees, uh, the 39 books of the Old Testament that we have, mm-hmm. they believed that they were authoritative. Okay, so they had gone through that three-stage process. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the canon had sort of been set. And by the way, the word canon just means the, the sort of the recognized collection of books. Okay, so that's like stage three, like, oh, we've written these things down, it's been passed around, and like now the canon piece is like, we recognize that, yeah. like, it's important, it's valuable. Okay. So the law, you know, the law, of the five books of Moses... The, the writings of, you know, Chronicles and Kings, the mm-hmm. wisdom literature, the prophets, mm-hmm. these 39 books were considered authoritative. Yeah. And yeah. Jesus quotes them. Yeah. Jesus certainly acts as if they have divine authority. Mm-hmm. The, the New Testament apostles, they continue to quote them and quote them in such a way that they, they have divine authority. Mm-hmm. There are books written... After that point, after sort of, well, so Malachi is the closing of the Old Testament canon that, as the way we know it. So it happened, I think, around 435 BC. Okay. So after that point, nothing new is added to yeah. the canon yeah. until the writings of Jesus, that the Christians add that to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they are something, and again, like, so it was around th- two to 300 BC that the, the Jewish nation at that time, or certainly big, a big section of the Jewish nation at the time, had recognized, okay, these are the ones that we hold on to, mm. something called the Tanakh today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were other writings that happened during that sure. period, during yeah. that 400-year period, yeah. things like uh, Maccabees and, and a few others, that like the Catholic Church later on brought into the canon of Scripture. Okay. So you, you will find that so Protestant, the Protestant Church has 39 books in the Old Testament, the Catholic Church has a few more. Oh, the Orthodox Church, Eastern yeah. Orthodox Church, has even a bit more than that. Yeah, yeah. These were what, what we call the apocryphal writings. Yeah. They're, they're a collection of writings that were certainly great, but when the, what we would say the New Testament rolls around, mm-hmm. they, were not, they weren't considered by most of the Jewish nation at that time the Jewish people at the time, to be at the same level or treated in the same way as these other 39 books. Sure, okay. And so we don't add them to the scripture on that reason. Later on, the Catholic Church decided to add them in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's to do with sort of the nuances of how Catholic theology works and, and why they were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't, they, certainly initially, when you would say the first time we had the Bible, mm-hmm. all 66 books, <laughs> it was 66 books. Okay. okay. And that, that first time, you could sort of make an argument to say that, that happened around three to 480 when you have whoop, 66 books put okay. all together. It seems like this question, like, where does the Bible cover, is, like, in a way more complicated than oh, yeah. we think. Which is a good thing, because, like, if you're going to decide to base your life on this, it better not be, like, this trivial thing, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, let's, like, bunch up these books together, like, yeah. just for fun. It's like, no, like, this is a people group's identity. This is what they consider to be valuable. And then over hundreds of years, like, they're thinking, like, is it authoritative? Is it not? Like, I... I'm, like, confused a bit, but reassured, if that makes sense. Yeah, I kind of, it's a, it's a pure, just a straight-up fact of history as this is how it happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We didn't have, there's no argument to be made that, like, oh, no, like, we all like, of a sudden, you know, the clouds parted and the book <laughs> came down. But I actually think it's, it's still, you know, where did the Bible come from? It has human and divine origin. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I think that what we can see is the guiding hand of God bringing this all together. Mm-hmm. And what we, because what you can look at today, the, the, the Bible itself is a stunning, stunning work of yeah. lit- literary art. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, when you think about the process that it took to get to where it is, there is, I think, a really interesting idea of the Bible sort of being able to be recognized for the authority that it has because it had to go through this process. Each book individually had to go through this process by which people kind of came to the conclusion that it was something worth keeping and Mm -hmm. something worth holding on to. Amidst the contenders, it rose to the top. Each and every book rose to the top for various reasons. And I think that's a really interesting way we see God's hand at work by these these books that were written throughout a you know more than a thousand year period of history by multiple authors over multiple genres think of the the just the huge amount of work yeah that exactly. it that it, that probably existed throughout that long period of time these ones were brought together because people recognized throughout these different stages of history these are important yeah I think, like, two things to say about that. You were saying, like, it's really beautiful. And I think, like, seeing the hand of God, but also the hand of humans, like, some people will be like, oh, well, it's just by humans. So, like, oh, we shouldn't listen to it. But I'm like, since it's got both of them, isn't that a beautiful illustration of, like, how, yeah, God is relational. Mm-hmm. And, like, through his guidance, like, we can come up with some pretty cool things. Yeah. And also another thing you were saying, like, every single book of the Bible had to go through, like, this stage of, like, people determining, okay, like, are we keeping it or not? In my mind, I have this weird image that you're going to laugh about, but just like a bunch of guys sitting around a table and like, who let Ecclesiastes come in? Like all some of them, I'm like, why guys? <laughs> like there's these, some of these books that you're like, how did they make it inside? Wow. But, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Ecclesiastes is my wife's favorite book of the really? Bible. Really? Okay. I so. can't. She's, she's probably one of those smart people who reads the Bible and gets it. And I'm still like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I get it. And I think, again, that's probably something that we we should recognize and say, God, I don't get this. Mm, like, I don't mm-hmm. get why why this book? Like, mm-hmm. why Numbers? <sighs> numbers is Seriously? a long book. A long and, book. And a lot of us just lists. You're and right. I think it's because it's telling the story that was very near and dear to mm-hmm. the, the hearts of the Israelites mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's fascinating about it is that it's 
just true. Yeah. You know, what's important to realize is these are not these are not philosophical ruminations for the most part. Mm. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes is <laughs> something that, you know, is a philosophical work, but it's one I think that's very much guided by the mind of a person shaped by a relationship with God mm. and, and an understanding of who God is that's true. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them are accounting for history and reacting to history, yeah. either before the fact saying, hey, as a prophet, this is coming, right. and this is why it's coming. And then it comes to pass, people see that it came to pass and recognizing, oh, this is how we need to interpret what just happened. Yeah, yeah. Because we see that it was, it was predicted. They talked about it before, yeah. And so none of it's, it's not, it's not a case of saying like, oh, these were just really interesting works of art. That people, you know, you know, you have like top ten classics of history of you know of, of the English literature. Mm-hmm. It's not as if it's a bunch of fictional accounts. These these are dealing with real things that God did in history, mm-hmm. and they just they came to be recognized for what they were. They were they were the true accounts and then true interpretation of these accounts as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. which I think is important to know. So by the time Jesus comes along and the apostles come along, we have the formation, for the most part, in terms of, and when I say for the most part, we can't treat uh, the, the Jewish nation as if it was monolithic, it was just sort of one-dimensional. They were pockets that believed different sure, things. There sure. were some that only thought the writings of Moses were authoritative. Yeah. There were some that had different views from that. But the people that we're dealing with primarily in the New Testament and the people that um, actually kind of continue to exist after that period of time, held to the belief that those 39 books were mm-hmm. the right, or divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then Jesus comes along and Jesus, uh, the words of Jesus are written down and recorded because Jesus is this, this incredible one-of-a-kind figure that appears on the scene that believes himself to be basically the... The completion the, of like what we, were, what we were waiting before. Like he was saying... Oh, like there's these 39 books, but the story's kind of like at a stance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's like, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was a sort of an idea that uh, after the sort of Malachi comes and goes, that the Holy Spirit had kind of left and would oh, come back. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it, it was an idea. But yeah, you have Jesus coming on the scene saying, the unfinished business of the Old Testament. I'm coming to finish that business, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and he and he and he write and he speaks and he teaches and he and he does miracles and then he you know Jesus does what Jesus does he mm-hmm. becomes a sacrifice and the redemption of his people continuing that story on mm-hmm. and then at the end of it he he tells his apostles go and be my witnesses of this and we have the New Testament which every book that we have in the New Testament was written sort of somewhere between. 40 to 90 AD. Which is a much smaller chunk of time. A much, much smaller (laughs) chunk of time. Like, this is like a cliff notes, like, writing the ending, like, really quickly, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. After which you sort of have all the writings we have in the New Testament canon Uh are finished within that time period. Yeah. Uh, And then they they are treated as well. They go through a very similar process. Okay, that three stages of, like, oh, something happened, we're going to write it down, Mm -hmm. then we're going to pass it out. And then we're going to go through some process that allows us to determine, like, which ones are we keeping as, like, valuable and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so you have, from the very early days, the way the early church fathers who were sort of, you think, the generation beyond the apostles. Okay. So the apostles live, minister, pass away. 
the generation that comes after that is the early church fathers. Like the kids or something, and like when they grow up. Well, like, some of them are the direct disciples of the disciples. Okay. Yeah, in okay. some cases. Yeah. Um, but they were also just church leaders at the time mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it's not as if it was literally the, that's the only generation. It was, yeah, yeah. It was a period of time. Okay. But they are writing about the Gospels, the four Gospels we have. They're writing about the teachings of Paul and the teachings of Peter, and they're writing about these 27 books we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are other books that they are writing about too, some other works from sort of before them that they, they quote and they write, but it's, it's going through that process, right? At that moment, we can see that process unfolding where so in some cases we can see people confess to that kind of, well, you know, we have these books that everyone agrees upon, we have these other books that some we're not quite sure about, and then we have other books that we know are, are false. Yeah. They're not. They're not truly the teachings of Christ, um, and so we could see, interestingly enough, that process unfolding through the life of the early church of mm. them getting to getting to grips with what books to really hold on to and which ones not to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first, the Gospels we have, the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all completed within the first century. The okay. only Gospels completed with the only within the first century that we that we are aware of all the rest gospel of thomas and other things things like that are completed at a later stage okay okay also you know after the apostles die one of the marks of kind of authenticity that people would look at to decide how to treat a writing was where did it come from mm. and so after the apostles die there's there's sort of a, la- a loss of credibility that happens to any writing after that point because if it's not coming from an apostle... An apostle, someone who like hung out with Jesus, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So all the writing we have in the New Testament either comes from an apostle or an associate of the apostles mm-hmm. who was just recording what they said. Mm-hmm. And so after that point, after they die, you can see this sort of this natural capping off right. of the New Testament canon because after that point, anything that comes after that doesn't bear the same weight anymore. Mm-hmm. And so... In the New Testament, you have this sort of ongoing period of figuring it out, what it is, what is it that we're going to hold on to? And then by the late, I guess it would be 300s AD, mm-hmm. we have people beginning to say, yeah, these 27 yeah. are the ones, yeah, consensus is forming. These 27 are the one we're gonna, ones we're going to hold on to. And then by sort of the end of that uh, century, I guess it would be 4th century AD or the 300s, uh, there's an official declaration coming mm-hmm. out of like the the councils of Hippo and the councils of um, Carthage saying like, okay, these are the ones. The hippos got together. And they were like... <laughs> Hippo was a place, Jess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Once again, I'm one of those dumb people reading the Bible. <laughs> but yeah, so they went through that same process. Like the New Testament, it was in a shorter period of time, but they still had mm-hmm. specific criteria like, Oh, when was it written? Was it actually written by someone who was close to um, what was going on yeah. at the time? Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's basically the question, like, where did the Bible come from? Mm. From a long process, a long, like, thousand-year-long process of people experiencing something, reacting to it, spreading, writing it down, yeah. um, passing it along, and then seeing, like, okay, are we keeping this as authoritative? Yeah. Or not? yeah. I like what you said at the beginning about it's a story of a highly relational God. Yeah. And you can see that in the way that the Bible is formed, mm-hmm. that God kind of works through this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be, we have to recognize somewhat of a, 
a, an emotional response in some ways maybe True. to some of these things. True. Yes, it doesn't negate the the rationale behind why some books were recognized uh, or the sort of the the authenticity of the history that they're telling about. But there among that also had to be this sort of this feeling that people would could recognize in reading these books, being like, "Yeah, this this is important. Mm. This is true." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that. I love the fact that I think what you see is God continuing to work in the hearts not only of the authors to to write this down, but then also in the hearts of the audience mm. to be able to recognize, as we do today, when we when we see the teachings of Christ. Or when we see, and I just think we look at scripture, we can, I think, as believers, recognize God's hand in this. Mm. We can recognize that these these are important. These are telling me who I am. These right. these can speak to the human experience, right. uh, and they can speak to me about who God is in a way that seems to grab my heart in a really beautiful way. And that doesn't go to discount all of the other really necessary sort of yeah, filters. Sure. That need to be there to determine whether or not something's accurate and true, but it's it's also this thing on top of that to say, mm. yeah, there was also this sort of this ongoing experience that people would have when they read these things. They're like, wow, this is special. I guess like it's special because from an intellectual point of view, like there was so much work that went into it and so much filtering yeah. had to do. But then from an emotional point of view, it's like really special to know that like we can find meaning through this um, because it's from, like, ultimately we see a relational God through the yeah. spaces. So that is that is special. I don't know a lot of other books that do that. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at the end of the day, I think we have good, we have good reason to say this is why the Bible is the shape that it is, mm. why it looks the way it does, because it, it's gone through a long process. Oh, yeah. To get to our hands today, mm-hmm. but that process has has done, I would say, a really good job at weeding out the the contenders mm-hmm. uh, of bringing us what really truly does unite this beautiful ongoing narrative that mm-hmm. God is telling about. This is how I'm saving and redeeming my yeah. people, yeah. Um, and how I will continue to do so. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a beautiful document that's worthy of our attention and worthy of the authority that we give it as mm-hmm. well, because it can. It can speak to the longings that I know I have, and it can. You know, why do I, why do I let it speak to me? Is because it's, it's the it's the account of what God has done to save His people, and really, it's just bearing witness to it's bearing witness to. To sort of the the way that God has, I guess, saved His people. And when I read it, I can recognize my own need for salvation. Yeah. And yeah. so I allow it to speak to me too. It's just, yeah, it's a story that speaks to you as well. Like even if you're from a different culture and totally a different time frame, you you understand kind of that process and then you approach it and you're like, wait a minute, um, there's something in this story that like I need, you know. So that's yeah. Cool. yeah. And it's one of those things that what I think is beautiful about it is like no matter how deep you dig there's more to go yeah for sure sure. it's like when you kind of get super into a hobby and you realize that something you thought was kind of plain and simple Mm. actually has like a huge depth to it a history to it and a complexity to it that you didn't realize 
Um, it's like that, like cooking, right? Like cooking mm, can be really simple. That's a good simple, example, yeah. But cooking can be really complex yeah. as well. It can, there's a whole like history and art to cooking and it involves economics and all of that. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a good example. Yeah. So it's like that. I think the, the more you look into scripture, you more you, you can more see the beautiful, the beauty and the complexity and the authority of it. And even the history of the Bible itself, I think, to me... Uh, lent, leads me to the conclusion that it truly was a God-inspired process that mm-hmm. led it to be what it is today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. So a, that's the lesson for today, Jess. That's where the Bible <laughs> comes from. You're welcome. It comes from God and comes from uh, from people from too. People, smart people. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening to me. <laughs> it was fun. It really was. <laughs> I'm like, okay, he's going somewhere with this. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, everyone else, for listening to us, too. I hope it helps. And if you have any questions or if you are curious about something we've said and or if you want to just recommend a topic we could cover in yeah. the future, uh, we will do our best. So mm-hmm. thanks, everyone. Take care, guys. <laughs>